0: Before I begin with the message this morning, I do just want to take the opportunity to thank you all, thank your elders for the great honor and privilege and blessing it is to be here with you and and to bring this message. My only uh, regret is that my my wife and children couldn't be here to receive the blessing of worshiping with all of you uh, on this day. I also believe that my wife and children are probably... Just a little bit envious that I got to check out the Bass Pro Shops yesterday for a little bit. I'm sure uh, they would have liked to have been there as well. We are going to talk about this morning the increase of his government. The increase of his government. Today, January 6th, has been set apart by the church and is recognized and celebrated by many as Epiphany. This day marks the end of the season of Christmas, the twelfth day, much like the song that I'm sure we all know and love, having been yesterday. And a shift of our focus as the church is now from the birth of the Messiah to to a revealing of him as king to a much broader world. The word epiphany comes from a Greek word meaning to manifest or to show and the focus is specifically on God's manifestation to the gentiles or God showing himself in the person of Christ to the gentiles this is precisely why the focus of epiphany is on the wise men or the magi and why we say that we are now focused we are now focused on the revealing of Jesus to a broader world the magi representing that non-Jewish, if you will, world that he has now been revealed to, the Gentile world. It is why many in the church have referred to today and do refer to today as Three Kings Day. I would also submit that there is much here for us to learn and apply to our own lives and the world that we live in. So I want to begin briefly with a discussion of how we order our lives. And I want to start in Genesis chapter 1 a passage that I'm sure we're familiar with and God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so Genesis 1 verses 14 and 15 we all For one reason or another, order our lives based on various and different paradigms and superstructures. This is good, and we need to be thankful that God has given us liberty in this area. For example, the vast majority of my life has been ordered around the academic calendar. And even now, the rhythms of the life of my family are very much driven by what term or what semester my students and I find ourselves in at any given moment. But I would suggest that it can be very beneficial to acknowledge an ordering of time based on the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The brief passage from Genesis 1 reminds us that God, in His infinite wisdom, saw to it to create the world with built-in markers for the passage of time. Although it is not necessary, nor required by His Word, that we absolutely order our lives around these things, and it would be an honest assessment to acknowledge that every calendar we use is in some sense a construct. I have also in my life, In the life of my family found that when I'm not ordering our life to at least some degree around times and seasons defined in relation to Jesus Christ, then something else always slips in and takes that place. Now, this doesn't mean that we have the position and authority to ignore other calendars. Say, for example, to decide to not recognize April 15th as important, because it has not been sanctioned by the church. That would be foolhardy and unwise and asking for trouble. But we do well, I think, to recognize Christ's sovereignty in all aspects of our lives, even in how we mark the passage of time. So, so let me see if I can explain this another way. Here we are on Epiphany in the year of our Lord, 2019. That's important. In the year of our Lord, 2019. It is quite countercultural to say something like that. But to say that is to acknowledge that the new heavens and the new earth have been under construction for the last 2019 years. We are saying that we know that we acknowledge that it is a construction project that began that fateful night in Bethlehem when a young girl, because of her faithful obedience, brought forth a son and called his name Jesus. And very shortly thereafter, wise men from the east, because of their faithful obedience, came bearing gifts to acknowledge his kingship. Much like the words of that favorite hymn, Silent Night, it is an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord even at his birth. So, this morning, I wish to spend a few minutes looking at these two verses in Isaiah and see their connection to this idea of epiphany and hopefully try to begin to understand this concept of the increase of his government. We start by looking at one of the overarching themes in the Bible which is the theme of oppression. One of the earliest occurrences of oppression in the story of the Bible is Egypt's oppression over Israel. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. In Genesis 15, verse 13. So first, first God lets Abraham know that this is coming. Then in Exodus, God acknowledges that it is happening, and they, He has a plan to do something about it. In Exodus 3, verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. We actually see this theme continue. It continues in the time of the Judges. In Judges 2, verse 18, we read, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Furthering this theme, Yahweh gives Israel into the hands of other nations and then stretches out his own hand to deliver them. This can be seen clearly in the prophets, one example being Nehemiah. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. In Nehemiah 9.27. So the Old Testament, as we're beginning to see, establishes a pattern. There's this pattern of oppression. Oppression occurs And then, then the ideal ruler is described as one who responds to that oppression, as one who delivers the poor and the oppressed from the hands of the oppressor. And this takes us to the psalm reading for Epiphany, Psalm 72. Let me share just a couple of verses from one of my favorite songs, Hail to the Lord's Anointed, based on Psalm 72. Hail to the Lord's Anointed, great David's greater son. Hail in the time appointed, his reign on earth begun. He comes to break oppression, to set the captive free, to take away transgression and rule in equity. Kings shall fall down before him and gold and incense bring. All nations shall adore him, his praise, all people sing. To him shall prayer unceasing and daily vows ascend, his kingdom still increasing, a kingdom without end. Two verses directly from the, st- the psalm state, verse 4 says, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Verse 14 says from Psalm 72, from oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. The prophet Isaiah which is where we started this morning, also deals with this theme of oppression. He writes in chapter 9, verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. And here the reference to Midian is a reference to Gideon's victory over Midian, found in Judges chapter 7. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So let's, let's try to piece this together. Remember, we got to Judges, we got to Gideon and Midian by striving to understand Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9. But in order for this to come full around for us, we need to recognize that that comes on the heels of Isaiah chapter 8 where we read, Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to his word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So what do we see here? Yahweh threatens exile to most of Judah, but in that threat there is a prominent promise of a remnant. In that promise, we should see that the emphasis is on God. What he does on behalf of that remnant. What he does. He gives them light, fruitfulness. What he does is to give them gladness and plenty, which is what we read about as Isaiah 8 transitions into the first two verses of chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah 9, 2, and 3. So here we can now push this a bit further and see that Matthew ties all of this together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. First, we look to the Gospel reading for Epiphany, which is the narrative of the wise men coming to bow down before the new baby King Jesus in Matthew 2. And we must acknowledge without giving away too much, but we must acknowledge that there is a specific reason that these kings of the Orient, as the carol describes them, came to acknowledge the sovereignty of this child, perhaps because they knew and understood the great meaning behind all of these prophecies. Matthew, a little bit later in his Gospel, closes the circle between Isaiah and Jesus when he writes, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17. So finally, we come back to verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9. We have seen this thematic problem of oppression, and Isaiah tells of the reversal to come in these verses. Astoundingly, he prophesies a reversal that comes through the birth of a child, And it is the result of the child's coming, listen to this, it is the result of the child's coming that is promised just as assuredly as his actual coming. It is the government that shall be upon his shoulders. A government established 2,000 years ago in Emmanuel. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the Davidic prince, and it is his government, but not manifested all at once. It is ordered and established in him. Justice and judgment come through him, and it will happen, because as the prophet tells us, God is zealous for it. So how do we take all of this information in, and how does it, or how should it, shape the lives that we live even on a daily basis. We are his people, more specifically we are his bride. His government has been established and we are a part of it. First, as his emissaries now, part of our calling is to break oppression. In order to do that we must identify the oppressor and whether it be an individual A group of people, or a system, we must be careful to let God's Word do the defining. Scripture says that it can be anybody, which is easier for us to swallow when we begin by acknowledging God's sovereignty. Oppression can come from all classes and categories of people and it can come from all institutions and nations because at its very root is sin. One author writes that the Bible warns the rich who oppress the poor. James is perhaps the most explicit. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? In James 2.6. But this author continues, the Bible also recognizes that the poor sometimes oppress the poorer. Proverbs 28.3 compares the poor man who oppresses the lowly to a driving rain which leaves no food. Who abuses the poor? This author continues, as scripture sees things, it could be anyone. And Christians are called to oppose oppression, whether it is carried out by civil rulers, by religious leaders, by large corporations or small businesses, by neighbors, by family members, by the weak on the weaker. Second, I want to tread lightly here and I want you all to hear me carefully. We need to be for big government, we need to support it, we need to submit to it, but it needs to be the right one. Jesus' big government is good government, and therefore, I'm happy to say that His big government is okay, because it's the right one. That is what this whole thing is about. It is the point of Epiphany, which follows Christmas, and it is the point of Christmas. The Magi come, not because a king has been born, but because the king has been born. The one, by the way, which Isaiah, when writing about all this, says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Writing about government in only the way that he can, G.K. Chesterton once said, Government has become ungovernable. That is, it cannot leave off governing. Law has become lawless. That is, it cannot see where laws should stop. The chief feature of our time is the meekness of the mob and the madness of the government. Obviously, Chesterton's assessment is correct here. He certainly could have written that today. We can't talk about all this and miss the fact that, again, at the root of everything is sin. It is what we see now on a daily basis. Pick your system. It's so consumed with itself that it can't help but to govern, ultimately to the point of oppression. And so many today can't help but to put their trust in the very thing that constantly tyrannizes them. There is no tyranny in Jesus. We press on with the truth that it is okay to be for big government if it is the right one, and that there is only one right one. Everything else that we can come up with, look at the history of mankind, everything else that we can come up with, every other answer, every other system will eventually degrade into oppression. Not Jesus. We need to be champions for His government. We need to be champions for His peace. Note, God Himself is optimistic about the establishment of His Son's government. If God said, of the increase of His government and His peace, there will be no end, then who are we to deny that, whether in words or actions? It is also important for us and practical to understand that it didn't come all at once when Jesus was born, and it wasn't fully established when the Magi came to see him. It is fuller today than it was 2019 years ago. It is more peaceful today than it was 2019 years ago, and better today than it was 2019 years ago, just maybe not in ways that we can yet fully comprehend. We need to be in it for the long haul because that is how God has established it. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I will occasionally use the Book of Common Prayer as a guide or reference. And they usually, especially older copies, they'll have these tables in the front to help people locate on the calendar feast days or holidays. For example, Christmas is always on the 25th of December, but a different day of the week each year. Easter, on the other hand, is considered movable. It is on a different date each year. One of my copies has a table in the front, which is used to identify where those movable feasts or those holidays are. It begins, this table begins in the year 1600, and it goes all the way up to the year 8400. Can you just wrap our minds around that? When they were putting this together, they were so optimistic that they said, we need to be able to let people figure out when Easter is going to fall in the year 8400. If I could ever figure out exactly how to use that table, and I'm still working on it, and you wanted to know, I could tell you when Easter is in the year 4789. This is so important for us, especially Christians who are steeped in the instant answer, instant gratification, digital world that we are a part of. It helps us to be mindful of the fact that everything we've talked about today considers the establishment of Jesus' kingdom as a long term construction project. But I will say this one which we should always be optimistic about because it is being established, it is a certainty. So as we begin to wrap things up this morning, I want us to think about why Epiphany is so important and why it is unique. We have to look back in order to see Epiphany. And when we look back, we can't help but to see Christmas, if for no other reason than because of Epiphany's proximity to the birth of Christ. Seeing Christmas, we see the establishing of God's kingdom and the birth of Christ, but we also see the showing forth or the revealing of his kingdom his sovereign reign and rule over all the world in the visit of the Magi and the gifts that they bring to worship him. We also see the fact that it is a reign and rule that won't be welcomed by all. Even as King Herod and the Jewish religious leaders fail to acknowledge Jesus' authority and fail to bow the knee to him. On top of all this, Epiphany, much like Advent, practically calls us to look ahead and look forward to the completion of all these things. When we look back on these things and the narratives as they have been given to us in the Bible, we see that we are looking at the dawn, the beginning, the early establishment, and the dawn is dark. And maybe it's helpful for us to recognize that in some way we are still in the midst of that dawn. But even so, we know with certainty That God is zealous to bring us to the glory of noonday brightness. Finally, remember that when a new king comes, the world is turned upside down. Just as was the case when Paul and Silas preached the kingship of Jesus in his gospel in Thessalonica. The Jews, who were jealous of this, even acknowledged as much when they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, listen, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Acts 17, verses 6 through 7. This is our work as well. We do this by prayerfully living our lives according to the truth. That's how we turn the world upside down, by prayerfully speaking the truth. Let us allow our lives, even daily, even our calendars, to be ordered by the king and his kingdom. Let the world know that we know, and even their calendars know, that Jesus is Lord and king. Let us define our lives as subjects of King Jesus and live our lives accordingly. Remind everyone we come in contact with through our words and by our actions now and during Easter and at Christmas and throughout the whole year that there is no escaping his ever-increasing and ever-expanding government that Jesus is Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words today. We thank you for history as you have established it. For the wise men for the prophets, for these lessons that hold true even for us today. We ask that these words would be settled in our hearts and that you would give us the strength and energy and the courage in the week ahead to live our lives by these words. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.